0: Hi, guys. It's Josh Rubin here in New York with Douglas Elliman, and we're on our latest episode of the Rubin Special, joined by my friends in the Bay Area, top agents, Andrew Roscoff and David Gunderman. Andrew and David, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Josh. It's fun to be here. Good morning, Josh.
1: Great to see you.
0: (laughs) Good morning. I know it's early for you guys, 9 a.m., bright and early. I wanted to check in with you now that uh, your governor has uh, lifted the stay-at-home order now. Am I right? No, we're right. we're
2: slowly lifting. We're not completely out of it yet, but uh, but things are opening up.
0: So it's similar to us in New York in that it's sort of phased, and uh, mm-hmm. you know some areas are are less affected by it. And those areas obviously uh, can you know come out and have some fun and work as normal, and others are still on quarantine.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly.
0: Huh. Okay, and so I know the Bay Area was one of the you know so-called hotspots sort of early on to adopt the stay-at-home order, and so that's probably one of the last to be released from it, right?
2: Hmm. Well, I mean, it's just a very uh, thoughtful and and, and in terms of something like this, they're very conservative. They want to make sure they get it right. Their public safety is top of mind. So I'm actually really proud of our local governments and how they've handled it. And actually they've been, uh, I guess, maybe through the lobbying efforts of our local associations or the California Association of Realtors, they've also been working really hand in hand with our industry to make sure that that we weren't crippled throughout this. And, And it's really made it very you know reasonably palatable for us to 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 be nimble and pivot and survive this
0: yeah well you know survival is really critical and it's important that we take those necessary precautions uh in order to you know stay safe keep our family safe of course and and really keep keep our friends and our clients safe uh, in the process but it's also important that we you know r- remain uh to have some degree of you know the ability to Sort of, you know, conduct our business and, and stay in touch with people. What are you guys doing uh, differently in order to sort of stay top of mind and, and keep your business afloat?
2: Well, you know, for years, <laughs> here we are right here. I mean, for years, the, 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 the conversation has all been about digital and video. And now that has really come home to roost so we have really, we've stormed into digital we stormed into social media we've stormed into video in big ways and and it's about trying to package your message and get it out to people in 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 new formats and make sure that you know our, our business our core business is, is the foundation of our business is very relational our specific business i mean everybody does business differently and ours is very high touch contact relational business. So being disarmed of things like open houses felt really devastating to us at first. So we had to figure out ways to sort of get down to our core values and, and package them in ways that we can get out to consumers and boosting and advertising and all sorts of things, creating all little, these little videos that sort of create the essence of, of who we are and what we do. And, and, um, it's really been quite effective. Uh, I, I had been, business has always come to us very, very organically, uh, and we don't like to be solicitous at all. Uh, and as a consequence, we hadn't really done a lot of drip marketing in our, in our careers and we had never done a serious newsletter or anything like that. And now we have really, I mean, because the times required it and people wanted information so hungrily, we moved into the newsletter space and I cannot believe the great feedback we're getting from our database and our clients. They're actually asking us like, please keep sending these. They're so thoughtful and they're so informative. Like, please, please, please. And, and I think a little bit of that has to do with the fact that you know, our country is so sorely lacking in leadership right now at the top that you know any sort of voice of reason or expertise or knowledge is really resonating for people right now.
0: Yeah, you know we have a lot of fear in today's society and it's important that we put the fear aside, put it behind us and of course there's there's reason to be fearful when you turn on the news, but it's important that we really focus on the facts and the data and we deliver, you know, the reality of what's happening in today's society. And you know, I just got off the phone with a with a client of mine who unfortunately is in the hospitality space. And his business has been impacted, uh, you know, profoundly. um uh, his properties have literally had to shut down. And yeah. of course, no one saw this coming. And so right. he's contemplating selling his, his space here in the city, uh, you know, and, and, you know, just kind of staying at his house upstate. And he's afraid that he's not going to be able to get what he paid for. It. And I said, well, you know, there are actually examples of people paying more than you paid for your space, uh, you know, in a, in a very similar way. Uh, you know type of loft uh, and that property went to contract and closed during the pandemic uh, yes you closed before it but the bottom line is things are not as as bad as as we think they are uh, and certainly not as bad as the media would lead us to believe and and the media is really just feeding into the public sphere by telling them frankly misleading information about things that that you know aren't happening uh you know CNBC reported uh, a week or two ago that uh, there was only one deal over 4 million dollars well i went into my database immediately after that i found that there were six deals over 4 million dollars hmm. and that there had been 54 deals that had closed between i think it was may 15th when i had this conversation uh and it was between april 1st and may 15th there had been 54 deals that had closed over 4 million dollars so yeah. in reality uh you know things are things are continuing to happen in new york city yes they're not happening at the pace that we would like them to, but it's important, Andrew and David, that that we actually are able to deliver the facts.
2: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, you've gotten into the newsletter space, where you know that's something that yeah, you really haven't done that much. Things, as you said, have come to you more organically and naturally. Um, can you tell us a little bit about sort of what you're doing with the newsletter? What information you're providing?
2: Oh, it's exactly what you just said. You articulated it so beautifully. I mean, it's really important that we not. In any way, try to be predictive because we we're in uncharted territory here. There's no way anyone. I think anyone who tries to predict anything is just undermining their their um you know their reputation that the, you know their It's just who who knows where this is all headed. Who knows what this how this virus will behave? Um, but it's it's just really important about empowering people with facts and figures and 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 because we control so much of our market um, that there there's you know we we have. And, and we have this large team, like it's like foot soldiers in the war, and everyone comes back and reports. So we have all these little anecdotes and all these little nuances that speak to the, you know, these micro moments that speak speak to the macro. So we try to really focus on those little things so that we can let the, the, the consumer sort of draw their own conclusions about what's happening on a broader perspective. But just just feeding them with information and data about what we're experiencing on the ground and and giving yeah. them some ideas, contextualizing it a little bit here and there when, when we feel you know anchored in, in in a point of view and also. So one of the things that I think people enjoy is we had a few ideas early on about how the market was shifting that didn't bear out. So we really circled back and said, hey, we got that wrong. Uh, yeah. we that this wasn't going to matter so much to consumers anymore. And it turns out it matters even more than we ever expected. So we're all yeah. just you know, staying really human in the conversation and and, and and just finding those 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 data points that that will resonate for folks.
1: Yeah, and our market's doing really well. We're transacting. I mean, we probably put 14 or 15 properties into escrow during COVID and wow. and some of them have had record record prices. So we're not really? feeling we're not feeling the constriction yet. And huh. you know, we're dealing now and as as I'm sure you are with um you know people who come to our properties are serious buyers, right? I mean there's no yeah. there's no, no looky lose coming in any longer, right? So it's a much yeah. more vibrant market relative to, you know, serious engagement with everyone who's coming to the to, to the to the forefront. So that's really exciting to see. I don't know how long that will last economically. You know, we don't, you know, as David was saying, we don't predict and we don't have a crystal ball, but right now things are strong in the Bay Area.
0: Yeah. Andrew, you mentioned that uh, a couple of the homes that you put into escrow uh, were at record prices. What do you attribute that to?
1: You know, I I think we were as surprised as anyone, Mm -hmm. you know, when the offers came in and we had a couple that were you know, record prices with, you know, more than one offer. It wasn't just one kind of outlier that overpaid. I mean, there there was a you know, there were there were multiple offers that came in that were strong. So it's low inventory yeah.
2: and, and pent up demand is, is exactly what it is. And that's what I mean, we the whole thing. Have.
1: I mean, real estate is always supply
2: and demand. It's That's what it's all about. And in fact, if I had any concern about the future market is that I see a lot of supply coming on. And, um, and I'm a little bit worried that the buyer pool has been, has been blunted somewhat because of the le- new lending restrictions and furloughs and layoffs and things like that. So, so if the supply gets too heated, then we could be in some, some sort of more shaky territory in terms of the listing side of things. Uh, may become more of a buyer opportunity. We'll see. But sure. so far that hasn't borne out. There just hasn't been enough inventory to, to feed okay. all the consumers yeah. out there. Limited yeah. geography, a lot of jobs in the Bay Area, a lot of wealth. And shockingly, I'm sorry, I know you're, shockingly, the, like a lot of cash offers, a disproportionate amount of cash offers than we than we ever see this time of year, as if people were taking their money out of other investments and, and moving it into real estate. I, I've never quite seen that. That happened so starkly. What were you going to say? Yeah, and I think
1: other. I think one of the major contributing factors for us is you know we're heavily influenced by tech, and tech is feeling energized right now. I mean, we have Slack here. You know, we have a lot of you know tech centers that are thriving in, in this new world of, of video and working from home. So I think sure. we haven't been we that hasn't diminished at all. I mean, I think that's really become you know a more influential factor in our market as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, you have these tech hubs, of course, in the Silicon Valley, uh, in the Bay Area, with uh, you know companies like Twitter, Slack, etc. You know, just because these companies are telling their employees that they can stay home and work remotely doesn't mean that that these areas aren't going to be the center of activity, uh, you know, for for these fields today and in the future. It just means that the workspace is going to be used a little bit differently. But I think that people really, uh, you know, appreciate the uh, communities that they live in, and they'll continue the individual will continue to be magnets for their friends and colleagues because just as they like living there, so too do other people and you know, I think that the second home market uh, might go through a little bit of a resurgence, the same client that I mentioned earlier in the hospitality space, just coincidentally because there's so much interest in areas. Uh, like Upper Westchester and Rhinebeck in the Hudson Valley here in New York, which is a strong second home market. Um, you know, he he got an unsolicited offer for a very strong number uh, from from a buyer, and mm-hmm. he's considering selling that, but he really likes that house, and so there's there's a lot of this. Uh, thought process behind the second home market. I saw an article the other day about Connecticut, where people are you know, going out there and saying, hey, I'd like to rent for the season. They're finding that the rental market is, has such limited supply that they're saying, you know what, we can buy a house for 500,000, a million, even $2 million. And it can be our, our weekend or country house. Are you guys seeing any of that in, in the Bay Area? And if so, what communities are attracting weekend residents?
2: Uh, you know, the, what, we are seeing that the bit. We're seeing that that same migration in different ways. I've had more people ask me for a referral to Lake Tahoe than I usually have. A <laughs> you know, higher the higher percentage of people are asking for those referral sources to that area, and yeah. also, um, I think I think the, the 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 nuance we're seeing is that is that what you know geographically we we have the bay and we have the flats uh, right off the bay, which are where you know there's a lot of walkability and cafes and amenities and transportation, and then the hills that come up right behind it, and for about I guess 12 or 15 years the hills have been out of fashion and the, and the flats have been very much in fashion everybody wants density and 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 that sense of urban and that sense of you know community and walkability and and what we're seeing is it's starting to tip back into the hills again you know everyone's yeah. sort of hey I wouldn't mind a few trees and a little more elbow room and you know a little more space between my neighbors and feeling a little less density so uh so that is all starting to shift
1: yeah it's going to be very interesting to see how our market shifts relative to how, how we engage with homes now after post COVID or during COVID, right? Sure, I mean, yeah. we're working from home where we're all home together. Is your home big enough to handle, you know, everyone sheltering together. I mean, these are really influential components in our marketplace. It's going to be fascinating. Does your example. home give you
2: the experiences you want when right. you're during your downtime? It's never you know, been more I have important. X factor. Do I have, you know, my game space or whatever you need to feel like you want to be,
1: you know it's so comfortable, and well it's and, just never been more important and 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 it's never been more articulately um defined yeah. i think you know in terms of you know real people are really kind of dialing it in now so it's going to be fascinating to see kind of a year from now looking at the metrics you know and analyzing what the influence really was but it, there's going to be a big shift absolutely yeah
0: yeah Absolutely. Now, I, I, I know you guys both per- personally and pro- professionally, so I know a little bit of your story, but you know, for our viewers at home who've never met you before, you, you've had a pretty robust career, but you both come to it uh, from somewhat different backgrounds. So can you tell us a little bit how, about how you got into the business? Uh, well, yeah. you started,
1: so you need <laughs> all of them in. Uh, I, <laughs>
2: I don't know how far back you want us to go, but Andrew's from New York and, and grew up uh, in an artistic way. He, he was a dancer with American Ballet Theater and a bartender at Studio 54 and a monk and a beekeeper and a restaurateur and had a marketing agency in the Bay Area. He's lived out here for about 30 years. Yeah. Um, I, I was also, uh, I grew up in L.A., but I, I, by way of New York, I was living in New York in mostly the 90s uh, as a performer and performed on Broadway and throughout the country, and, and um, while I was on a national tour of a Broadway show, I met Andrew in the Bay Area, and we fell in love and had this long-distance relationship for a year and a half,
1: moved out here. Um, Honestly, and- I wanted to move back to New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At the last minute, he pulled the plug and came here. It all worked out,
0: and uh, a mixed and messaging there, right? And it was so, not, uh, you David winding up out here, How and you wanted to be are. back there.
2: <laughs> exactly. It all worked out, and uh, anyway, I went, I worked for a magazine for a little while, and then right around the time around the year two thousand, when the first tech meltdown was happening, the magazine I was working for um, started to lay everyone off. And Andrew and I were just buying our first house in Alameda and getting ready to adopt our children. We adopted two kids out of the foster care system, um, and. Uh, I decided to go into real estate. It was a total default career for me. I, I the the person who helped us buy our home in Alameda was a good guy and I always thought, oh, you know, real estate agents are used car salesmen. I totally had that 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 uh, bias in me. Uh, yeah. out this guy had a major impact on our lives and I thought, well, god, if I can be a fiduciary, if I can really advocate for people and and be be one of the good guys, I I think I could maybe stomach this and dabbled in it. And then it just took off like a lightning bolt and discovered like how what a great career it is in terms of all the things you get to do and the ways you get to impact lives. And, and uh, it just took me by surprise. And then and then about two years in Andrew decided to quit his very steady job, which was dangerous and, and scary for us with young children building a business, but it was a leap of faith that we took And it. And it it was two cogs that came together. And it just it just made us sore. We've we've we we haven't looked back, we've really, really enjoyed these last 20 years in this business
1: yeah we've always felt that um you know because we did have kind of a bias going into it um we were really intentional about um finding our own path basically you know not kind of doing what everybody else was doing i mean we our success is really kind of ridiculous we shouldn't have the kind of success we have based on the things you're supposed to do i mean we really never had it we never kept our database or our crm right i mean we just didn't really Advertised, but because we lived in a smaller community, where you know, again, we're walking billboards right after we work with somebody. Our clients are walking billboards, and that was really the kind of driving force for us, and in, in terms of establishing ourselves in the smaller community of Alameda, and then we just kind of started to grow outside the, the confines of the island, which is a little island off on of, those of you that know the East Bay, into the East Bay market, you know, at, at large, and it's been really powerful and a lot of fun. We've uh we, we really What
0: what company what company, Andrew, did you guys actually start with?
1: Oh gosh, we started with oh a, you little, you. a little boutique agency in Alameda called Kane and Associates, um started by this woman Marie Kane, who was a former teacher. She was an she still is an incredible um, woman, hot, you know, just great ethics, a wonderful teacher, and she just provided a wonderful atmosphere for us to kind of learn the business. And she mentored us along with a couple of other top agents in that office. And um, you know, it was a really lovely way to kind of introduce ourselves to the business. And yeah, then, then after that, we did move to Alan Pinnell, which was a local California Bay Area real estate agency, privately owned. Um, I think probably they were 25 years in the business. Yeah, about that. Until yeah. Compass, um, you know, they were one of the companies that Compass snapped up, and we just were not feeling um, the vibe with Compass, so we have ended at Keller Williams, and we're really thrilled to be part of Keller Williams. It's a wonderful, again, it's a it's a company that reflects our core ethics. Um, our value proposition is absolutely aligned with Gary Keller and 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 the organization at large, and we've really we're, we've been here now about five or six months, and we're really feeling great fit. I mean, we're,
2: we're at a point in our careers too, where like you know, mentorship and Giving back and teaching others is just you know you're at that point in your lives when you want to. That's part of the next sort of phase in the in the in the course of happiness. And Keller Williams is an organization that's all about giving back and sharing and mentoring, and and that's just we're just plugging into that in ways that really feel good.
0: Yeah, so you know I've I've heard very good feedback from uh, you know our friends and colleagues at Keller Williams about you know the the overall culture in the company, and uh, you know many have been very happy with it. So. I'm not surprised to hear you guys say that you know you're happy with this uh, this latest move, and uh, you know congratulations again. I know it's a fairly recent what about six months at this point? February, yeah, oh, yeah. just this last February. Mm-hmm.
2: Great, yeah.
0: And so you really haven't skipped a beat with that with that jump, right?
2: No, and that's always a scary thing because, oh, you know, the, the, the data is that whenever you do a brokerage change that your business suffers that year, but no, it hasn't skipped a beat. In fact, it, it feels, I mean, I mean, of course, everybody's felt some loss of business during this COVID moment. There's several sellers that I'm so grateful uh, were able to pivot and get back into their homes because they weren't, it was, it was too much stress and too much to handle. It was too disruptive. Uh, several of those are now calling and saying, oh, okay, now I will do it, um, but but um, but yeah, so business is, is down, but but not in any significant ways. We never you know had to you know lay anybody off, and you know, one person did take some personal time off for a personal reason, but nobody got laid off. We really doubled down on our business and, and held true and kept our people together, and it's been really
0: extraordinary. Wow, so that's remarkable. You guys just kept on sailing right right through it.
1: Yeah, he didn't huh. sleep for about two months. <laughs>
2: We didn't take a lot of time off. I mean, that was the thing is a lot of people were talking about, you know, you, you talk to your friends and they're talking about like how quiet it is. And it's so lovely to bake. And I was like, you have time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Andrew and David, you know, here in New York agents, uh, you know, there's a variety of different agents, right? There's the, there's the people who've been in the business for 50 years and they kind of work the building where they live and they, you know, put on a nighty, and they go up and they show their listing. And you know, if you don't like it, so what? They never follow up, and you know, they just kind of take people from the laundry room who are thinking about selling, or oh. you know, somebody just went into a nursing home, or you know, this couple you know moved into a two bedroom across town. And then you know, there are agents who who work their sphere, um, yeah. and you know, they kind of take a referral here or there, and they do maybe ten or fifteen deals a year. Um, um, and then there are agents who work their neighborhood uh, who's sort of an expansion of, of their sphere. And then there are agents who are all over town, right? You know, you'll meet an agent who has a listing one day in battery park, and then the next day they'll have a listing on the Upper East side. They have various lead sources. So, you know, in San Francisco, um, you know, it's much more spread out. Of course, one of the things that San Francisco is known for is, is it's traffic. Um, you know, of course the Hills and the trolleys and, but, but, you know, being in San Francisco, how does a, a successful agent in San Francisco, you know, sell both in the flats and the hills, work in Oakland and Marin County, uh, or you know, you, you hear about you know Sonoma, and Napa. I mean, I you know those these are all different markets. So so how do you guys adapt to the to the different neighborhoods and and what neighborhoods specifically do you focus on and serve?
2: Yeah, we, we're per, we are almost entirely East Bay. So we are Oakland, Berkeley, Alameda, Piedmont. Um, then there's other points like uh, Contra Costa, which is uh, La Mirinda, which breaks down to um, Lafayette and Moraga and Orinda. Then there's little ancillary areas like El Cerrito and Emeryville and Kensington, Kensington and places like that. Mm-hmm. If we have a client that needs help in San Francisco or Marin County, we have really strong partner relationships in those areas. So we'll partner up with people if it's you know something that, that we want to be or we'll just refer it. Um, But even our territory that I just described is a very large territory. Uh, We have eight agents working it. And again, we all information share. So we're really effective. We're very proud of the fact that we that we that we 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 like to say amongst ourselves that we represent people and not price points. Um, We don't want to get caught in one market segment. Um, Really, we want to take good care of people, not just try to be one little segment of the market Um, and 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 that that just keeps you thriving under all circumstances. You just, it keeps you nimble. It helps you pivot when, 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 you know, there's all these like market shifts. So, and, and one of the hardest things for us to hear actually is when the person selling their very precious one bedroom condo calls and says, you know, I, I'm, you guys are so luxury. I don't, you probably don't want my listing. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, you are a, a, the, the child of our former client. I, we want to take care of you. Like, like we will bring all that luxury service to your one bedroom condo. Let's kill this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, really
0: I, I mean, I, I tell people all the time that, that I bring just as much dedication mm-hmm. to a five hundred thousand dollar studio apartment that I right. do to, you know, a five, ten or more million dollar, you know, penthouse or, you know, whatever the, the listing might be. Because, yeah. you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we care about the people that we're working with. You know, it's not about the listing that's attached to the person, it's about the person that we're representing, right?
1: Absolutely. That's at the heart of everything.
2: And sometimes yeah. those people are the most gratifying experiences. You know, they they you they see how you sort of present their property and elevate elevate it, and they just they're like, wow. And you know, sometimes people who are more well off have, have had a lot of people cater to them over time. <clears throat> so um, so it's a little they're a little harder to impress sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's those people
0: who are just like you know, you're changing their lives. That feels so good. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you guys told me earlier that you put. Fourteen or fifteen properties into escrow during the the sort of pandemic, which is really an admirable number, and that's a that's a huge number for so many people, because a lot of people don't do that in an entire year. But right. here here in New York, there have been rumors of agents getting fined, and in some cases, their licenses are being threatened to be suspended um, or revoked entirely. So we're really trying to be careful, and in fact, Douglas Elliman and I believe Corcoran has gone so far as to say to uh, various vendors, including photographers, floor plan designers, etc., that we can't schedule photography. Now, of course, we're finding ways around that because you know what sellers do in the dark of night directly with the vendors is up to them. So we're you know sort of mm-hmm. letting them work it out. Uh, but it, are there any similar rules that are impacting your day-to-day business?
2: Yeah, it was it was a hard time. I mean, we are at the point now where we're fully up and running. There's nothing we can't do. I mean, even stagers are essential at this point and that's been great. But there've been all these these moments during the during this sort of shelter in place and and moments when you know we we can't do this, we can't do that. We could only show vacant homes for a while, not occupied homes. So we had sellers leaving the area so that their home could become vacant and then show it or there was a moment when you could have photographers, and then you couldn't have, and then you could have photographers and 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 at the point where they let stagers in was when it all sort of opened right wide open when it it became wide open one of the tricky things for me for instance just anecdotally was there was a moment when uh when shelter place hit that we had a house where all the staging was just piled in the garage and the house was vacant and the people had moved out and they were pregnant and really scared and needed to get their household and it sat there for about two weeks while we were all sort of paralyzed and one day i said to to our son i'm like get let's get your gloves on that house has been in its own self-quarantine for two weeks we're going over there and we're staging it so we just like moved to the furniture and put the yard up and put whatever we you know just we we got it done, uh, yeah. And Did our gimbal and our vert, you know you get in the trenches you do what you have to do to to take care of people. So um so we've we've very strictly stayed within the guidelines and 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 you know this thing is a killer. So yeah. uh, And it and it hit it hit um you know a member of our team uh uh wow her, her closest relatives and uh, that really shook us up. We were like well that it reminded us that this is not something we can play, we can play fast and loose with, you know, you've got to be very, very careful with, with this thing. So it got yeah. It had another client of ours who moved to the Hudson Valley <clears throat> has been struggling with it. Um, my sister is, is struggling with it right now. Like there's a lot, a lot of people that this, that this can really hurt. So yeah. very, very, you know, it, it's, it's a moment of like major, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, sort of ethic, core ethic crisis, you really have to figure out how to behave. And there was a lot of, a lot of moments there where, where you know, every, all of us were, were, were freewheeling it because, not, you know, we didn't know what to make of it. And, 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 and the hardest thing for me was those moments when they said, <clears throat> you have a vacant house, you can't bring a painter into it, the seller's gone, no one's touching it, it's probably the most pristine environment there is out there, and you can't use, I don't know if i ever already said this, but you can't use your painter and your painter's calling you and saying, I need work. I can't put food on the table right now. Can I go somewhere as a solo individual and paint a house right now? And the answer had no, unfortunately, but it was like, it was just an ugly ethical dilemma at that
0: moment. But, but now that's changed, that painter can do work for you and, and
2: yes. your clients, right? So we had everything just sort of ready for the second things changed. we stormed in. And the second something changed, we stormed in so that we could get our our clients' homes on the market faster than anyone else so that they could take the most the greatest advantage of the supply and demand imbalance.
0: yeah, you know that's that's a a good point that you raise, and that is that you know with limited supply and we still have just as much demand as we did, so we're almost seeing this sort of point to point from where we left off in terms of the activity, mm-hmm. right? We're not seeing this you know, we're not seeing this, uh, this pattern following, you know, that dip in equities, we kind of skipped over that, because equities have bounced back. So consumer sentiment is basically where it was, where we left off. In fact, it might even be stronger, because people have been held back, just as you're describing not being able to get into homes to stage to prepare them for the market, as soon as you could, and it was listed, and people could come and look at them. You had this unbelievable sort of rip roaring set of activity and that's part of how you've been able to put so many homes uh, into escrow or contract in such little time. Yeah, so
1: exactly right.
0: You know, so going forward Andrew over the summer, you know, what do you see activity being like?
1: I don't know. I mean, that's I, I really think a lot <laughs> of it's going to hinge um, on you know, what happens after we open it up, if we have a second wave, I think that's going to freak people out um, as it as it should. Um, economically, we're going to have to kind of see where things play out. I, I think there's going to be some serious impact. I mean, you can't shut down capitalism for as long as we have without paying a price for it. So, um, you know, I think there's going to be great opportunity. Uh, for people. And, um, you know, again, we have the supply and demand component driving our marketplace more than anything. And that's certainly in place. So I, I feel like we're going to be okay for a while. And hopefully, you know, we'll work things out economically and just kind of keep keep the machine going. But um you know, people are here. People need homes. Um, there's a lot of movement in the Bay Area, like New York City, right? I mean, there are people come and go all the time, and you know, those things are not going to be changing. So I feel I feel really optimistic, actually. I um, mean, yeah, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna have to figure out how to do things differently. I mean, the open house is kind of gone. Um, right. you know, who get into properties now need to supply a P.E.A.D. form to us, um, which is, you know, a, a whole kind of comprehensive um, warning of, of, of how to how to behave in the property. But, you know, if three people go into a property now, you know, it usually produces one offer. So, you oh. know, it's a very different marketplace. It's a much more concentrated marketplace. And I think it's going to be very vibrant and uh, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out relative to. Um, to um, agency in the area too, because I I have a feeling this is gonna be very hard for a lot of new agents coming into the marketplace I mean this is going to be I think the biggest shift is you know in any kind of down market or where things become more tentative and 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 need more expertise the top agents are usually the ones that start to, to to gain you know some momentum in those in those moments in the marketplace so I think that shift is going to you know be really hard in our industry relative to a lot of other people one of the
2: things that I find most interesting about the moment for this may be too regionally personal so stop me if this is not interesting but but we but we've been in a market for years where people price under in order to create these bidding wars and you set a market, you set an offer date 14 days in, and then you see how, how, how far you can, you can you know get it up the pole. And, and um, and now that's different because we can't expect that there's necessarily an environment of competition, that there's enough people getting through that you can expect there to be competition. So we've moved into a, what we, what's being described in our area as a transparent pricing, you know, really pricing things for the expectation. And um, and that's that's been really working for us during this period of time. I'm starting to see some agents like creep back into old habits. And and if one person starts to underprice, you know, if your house is worth one point four, and that person's pricing at nine ninety five, and you're pricing at one point four. The energy is going to go over to the 995. It's just, it's just consumer behavior. It's consumer psychology. So, I'm, I'm a little nervous about the fact that we might be stepping back into old habits, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to regret that if we do, because I, I like to be a more honest person. Um, yeah. But we also have to play the game, and if it's in our client's best interest to get back in that game, we're going to have to follow follow suit. But I'm—it's uh, it, just that's one of the the micro dynamics of our market that I'm really fascinated by right now.
0: Yeah, will really be yeah.
1: fascinating.
0: You know, you know, it's interesting that you say that, David, because you know when I when I meet a prospective seller, the way that I approach pricing is is a little bit um, different, right? And I tell people very succinctly that you have three different choices to make. You can price it exactly where we think the market is. You can price it above where we think the market is and maybe add in a little bit of room for negotiation, or you could price it below where the market is. But ultimately, the market is going to be the bearer of true value. Mm-hmm. And so you don't control it. I don't control it. And frankly, not even the buyer controls it. Because a lot of people say, well, what is this worth? Well, it's, it's worth what someone is willing to pay for it. And I, I don't agree with that sentiment. I think it's 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 worth what the market indicates it's worth, but you can't just look in the rearview mirror at what's sold. You have to take current uh, conditions into consideration as well as future trends. In other words, you have to be sort of the the bottom line educator and how people are you know are trending. Is there optimism? Is there pessimism? If there's pessimism, like you know we've seen over the last three four years with one uncertainty after another. It's smart to price in such a way so that you know that the momentum or energy of the market is at your back, sort of like the wind in your sails. Mm-hmm. And so it's like when you're on a boat, you know, in order to get from point A to point B, oftentimes you have to tack back and forth because you're not sure which direction the wind is going or mm-hmm. there's not enough wind. And so when you're pricing property, you want to price it with the wind at your back, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I think. And ultimately I've had experiences you know, where we've, where we've priced it just right and hit it right on the nose. And that's why historically, most of our listings tend to sell at their ask or closer to their asking price in our competition, i.e. for more money and in less time. So we're not necessarily pricing it low, like the situation that you just described saying, well, you know, here's a house similar to yours that's priced at 1.4 or sold recently at 1.4. So we're putting it at 995. That's a big jump, 30 to 40% you might see one or two of those a year in our market, but but not much more than that. No. So, I mean, how often do you see those jumps, the 30, 40% or, 20 or 20% or twenty or more jumps all, in your market?
2: All it's, the it's, time. It was, it was, it was uh,
1: daily. I mean, for 15 or 20 years, you know, or the Bay Area market, at least in the East Bay, has been an auction market. You know, it's price it price it below some ridiculous threshold and just see how far it'll run up and and you know that's one of the ways that we've manipulated the market in our our, our area and and quite frankly you know because of the supply and demand component it has influenced um our our, our bottom line here and the houses appreciate in the bay area in ridiculous um numbers and 40% is is really pretty common
2: yeah no i mean our our average our average overbid like over the course of selling 100 to 140 homes a year our, our average is about 30% over the ask price. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Wow. That's your that's your average average over the asking price. Yeah. Is about 30%. Did I hear that correctly? But the asking
2: yeah. price is is manip- it, it is it is set low. It is set low to arbitrarily pay. set low. It's the culture of our real estate mm-hmm. market. It is not and So
0: what do you do when you're representing a buyer looking for a, you know, say a four bedroom in Oakland and they see the perfect house and it's asking 995 and they're coming to you from Chicago where things are, you know, regularly selling for say 10% below. And you say, yeah, this house is asking 995, but you're going to need to be at 1.4. Like what, what is that conversation like? Well, it starts it.
1: with comps and list price versus sales price. It's pretty easy to kind of show those metrics to people, right? And our, our we have a very highly um, engaged, intelligent buyer pool circling. They understand the games, you know. So when they sit down with an agent, you know, generally, I mean, as a listing agent, you want a group of of buyer sitting down with their agent looking at them going, what do I have to pay to get this? Right. And that's where, you know, generally the overbid, you know, the outlier that really jumps the pack is the one that wins that wins the prize, right? And 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 I agree with you, Josh. Have they paid the actual real value of the property? Probably not, but the market spoke and um yeah. they were victorious. But I think that is one shameless way that real estate agents in the Bay Area have you know, influenced our market relative to um, its value.
2: And in terms of the buyers, we just have to really educate them up front because we want their learning curve to be like that. If they're coming out here from Chicago or wherever, and and it's sometimes it's absolutely like it's uh, incomprehensible to them. But the data is there; it's very easy to present. And and you know, honestly, if your client is looking for a, a you know a one point three million dollar house, they need to know that they're probably looking at nothing listed any higher than one point one.
1: Yeah probably, um, yeah. More, like, oh, no, and probably more
2: like 99 right. and if and if you see something wow. like for one, two, nine, five, that is probably gonna sell for one, five or one, six. That's not your price point. And you, you just sort of show them all the data and then you you just steer them in the right directions and they figure it out fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds and that's that's your value. I mean, that's that's the value of why the sort of online broker is not in your, your friend is because it's the understanding of these nuances and how to get the pricing right and how to build the relationships and how to get you into contract, that's our value. It's not about finding the house. Anyone can find a house right now and once in a while, you have somebody say to you, I, "My broker is doing nothing." I found this house on my own. It's like you don't understand what their job is. It's not finding a right. house anymore. It's getting yeah. you a contract for the least amount of money and the maximum amount of protection.
0: That's <laughs> right. And in fact, you know, a colleague of mine, Rob Gross at Douglas Element, he he put it fairly eloquently a few years ago when he said, "Working with a buyer in today's market." It's not just about finding the opportunity, it's about making the entire process three dimensional. And as you put it, David, it's very nuanced. I tell people all the time that every single transaction is as unique as a snowflake, right? I mean, sure, you know, we've sold thousands of houses in our career, but not one of those transactions was exactly the the, the same. They might have been in the same building or in your case on the same block or same neighborhood or same house style, but each house has a different personality to it, architecturally, they all have different conditions. Some of them have water issues, some of them have termites. And then when you add to that, not just the property itself, but the personalities involved, there are so many layers and nuances and you really have to be an expert how to navigate these challenges that might lie ahead. And certainly you will encounter as a buyer or a seller
2: yeah for sure i mean there's so much chaos in real estate and that's why we haven't been replaced and there's so many ways we protect people i mean even even on the listing side we we bake in a you know a small budget for that we that we almost always call like chaos uh, because right. something's going to happen you know some neighbor's going to come and complain that that tree has been driving them crazy for years and 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 then you're, they're going to create this conflict idea that that you that, that a buyer is gonna be scared of like they don't want to enter into conflict so we're gonna to have to like stop everything and, and fix that fence or take care of that drainage issue or whatever it is that, that you didn't see coming. There's always a curveball and and uh, it's one of the things I'm most proud of in terms of our project management team and and all the people who are out there to just solve problems all day long because things always come up always always always
0: absolutely and you know with that you know problems do always come up but you know the good news is I think we're through. We're through the worst of them during these last three months, and so I really appreciate you, Andrew and David, for joining us today on the Reuben Special. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule.
1: Uh, What's it's fun? Great Dave? to see you, Josh, and take care and give our love to New York. It's a, we have a special <laughs> place in our hearts. We'll do. York.